Welcome to SlayerFest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford, and today I have a special guest co-host with me today. He hosts the X Reads podcast. Chandler Poling. Hi, Chandler. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad we got to do this crossover. I feel like we've been talking about doing a crossover for a while. Yeah, absolutely. And so Anthony Oliveira couldn't co-host this episode with me, and I thought, what a good time to do a crossover with an X-Men episode. Um, Tell us about X-Reads. Sure, yeah. My podcast is called X-Reads Podcast. Uh, We cover vintage issues of Uncanny X-Men from the 70s and 80s, primarily the Claremont era. And we put on our library reading glasses and give it a good, strong read. We, we cover the, the fashion, the dialogue, the storyline, everything through the eyes of two catty gay men. And it's a lot of fun. And Chandler and I bonded over both being huge nerds. And we both had uh, Lenore Zahn, the voice of Rogue, on our podcast. And we both were gushing about how absolutely charming she is because yes. she's wonderful. She's delightful. And I want to introduce our two guests we have here today. Uh, first up, I have a professional wrestler. Hey, that's me, Courtney Rush. Hi, Courtney. Hello. And next up, we have TV writer. Daniel Kibblesmith. Hi, Daniel. It's nice to have you both back on the podcast. It's also wild that both of you guested on the podcast this year, but that both of your episodes feel like a thousand years ago. So long. Oh, yeah. That was definitely like <laughs> some half-remembered childhood thing, right? <laughs> Those are in the before times. Yeah, I think both of you guessed it either at the start or right before the pandemic hit. Yeah, I did my episode during season six of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It, it just yeah. aired that evening and then we immediately recapped. <laughs> right, yeah, we did it live. Um, so yeah, we're here for, we have a little holiday episode for everyone. Uh, Chandler, do you want to tell the listeners what, episode of x-men we are about to cover yes absolutely this is the the holiday christmas episode from x-men the animated series i think it's called have yourself a morlock christmas uh yep. and yeah I, I'm, I love this episode uh, i actually re- already watched it earlier in the pandemic because it makes me feel good so i loved reliving it again for this episode <laughs> you know i I appreciate knowing that because for me, I'm like, oh, this is a rough episode. As I was watching it earlier, I was like, oh, God, um, we recorded I recorded a episode for Buffy season seven earlier. And it was one of the episodes where it's help. And at the end, there's like a very brief fight. And I mentioned how, well, in every Buffy episode, there kind of has to be a fight. And you would think that would apply to X-Men, but it does not <laughs> because there is zero action happening in this episode <laughs> yes well we do get a storm speech and i live for civilian clothed x-men so i can't wait to read their outfits in this oh episode <laughs> uh this, so the episode opens this is one of the few where we don't get like a five minute long previously on x-men mm-hmm. um it kind of works on its own right there's the which you think I, so they would have at least I, recapped who the morlocks were right and that like Storm was their new leader right. or something like that. Yeah. I I mean, I'm ragging on it, but I will say I wish every genre show did a holiday episode. I don't know why, but like when it's a genre show, I, I immediately like am more into there being a holiday episode just as I like seeing the mechanics of like, you know, Morlocks celebrating Christmas mm-hmm. or some like wacky shit like that. I don't know why that well, always sells me. I mean, you're never going to get a kitchen scene like Jean and Gambit when they're <laughs> off battling, you know, in the Shi'ar Empire. So I, I'm I'm all for the holiday episodes. Right. Like, I felt the same way. This was such catnip to me when I was a kid because you expect all the family sitcoms to have a Christmas episode because that's something that's rooted in their world. But this does right. the opposite. Uh, this takes the people who are in the fantastical world and brings them closer to, you know, especially as a child, closer to your lived reality where it's like, hey, they're doing Christmas stuff. They're wearing people clothes. Yeah. Like, these are my real <laughs> friends who exist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, I what Chandler said, I agree with that. I, especially as a baby gay, but even as an adult, like, I love being able to see them in, like, clothes. Like, no one wears a uniform but Beast and Rogue at the end. Yeah. And I kind of, I mean, Jubilee wears two different, like, civilian outfits. And Beast's uniform mm-hmm. is, like, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> Beast's <laughs> uniform is a belt. <laughs> Puts on his underpants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but we open on everyone singing carols around the Christmas tree. Flops <laughs> is a bad singer. We Rogue calls Wolverine uh, Grumpus. Yes. Love and that. it is 
the delivery from Lenore Zahn for that line is like Grumpus is so good. <laughs> was that Grinch in the first draft? Is that what happened there? They were like, guys, we can't do Grinch. You know we can't do Grinch. Call him Grumpus or something. Right. Isn't that weird? Like I was like, is it a play on Krampus? I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I I, 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 I'm feeling Grumpus though. I feel like that is a Lenore Zanzing. Like she must've been like, I know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've definitely called people grumpuses before. So it felt pretty natural to me. <laughs> so I have a funny thing to add about the X-Men singing. So Wolverine obviously is not singing along with them. He refuses to, but Cal Dodd who voices Wolverine is actually a great singer and he sings on his Facebook page all the time. So really? it makes me want a Wolverine Christmas album desperately. so for our next crossover episode we'll get cal dodd to just like come sing some carols in wolverine's voice (laughs) okay so legit question where was this foyer that the tree is in this whole time because we've seen the mansion now this is the fourth season and i've never seen this giant room with a fireplace in the mansion and so they're like "Hmm, let's just build an extra wing for christmas yeah, Listen. it does seem to be this sort of yeah, like a like an atrium, but with one chair and a fireplace on one wall. <laughs> yeah, and the biggest Christmas tree you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, also, um, someone smarter than me is Wolverine sitting by the fireplace. Supposed to be like a Citizen Kane reference. Ooh, I'm feeling oh. that, or or a Scrooge kind of reference, maybe. Yeah, I'm going to go with, like, pastiche on this one. I think that it's sort of like, okay. they, you know, it's a trope that they picked out of, of familiarity. Because I think in my head, before I rewatched it, I always thought it was, like, a nod to the Big Lebowski, but, like, I highly doubt that that's what it is. <laughs> I, I, as I said, I, I love civilian wear X-Men, so uh, I just have to go through the outfits that we're seeing uh, in this scene. Right. So, first of all, we have to remark that Jubilee is not letting go of her Cali vibes because she's in shorts and a dad sweater. Like, <laughs> yeah, not, not never it. mind that it's snowing outside. She's never going to take off those shorts. And of course, sunglasses inside, uh, always. Uh, uh, Cyclops, he's got a salmon turtleneck with a lime green belt and nut brown pants. And Rogue in her purple mom jeans with green blouse and purple gloves. And of course, the headband, always keep that hair in control. Always. I would probably wear, I mean, not the sunglasses, but I would probably wear Jubilee's jorts and like baggy sweater outfit now. Like that's something I would wear because um, I wear too many cutoff jeans, jean shorts. Um, but I like it. And I, you know what? We later on, we get Storm in her like that dress. I like that dress she's wearing. Mm-hmm. Like oh, yeah. It's like the pink with the uh, like uh, teal tiger stripes on it. Right. Yeah. The kind of quasi African. <laughs> I literally do. I, I looked up because I wanted to uh, look at other uh, to see if I was missing references. And I was looking up different reviews this episode, too, because I personally thought Storm's dress was baller. But then someone, uh, as I'm looking up review, they're like, Storm looks like she's cosplaying as a holiday Sarlacc. And I was like, oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess it's not for everybody. Then. That's so specific. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that is a little weird, Jubilee's like, this is my first Christmas, like, first real Christmas and it's like but she's been at that mansion this is like we've been in a couple seasons already <laughs> yeah they're, they're leading us to believe that everything that has happened since Night of the Sentinels has been in one year because <laughs> she that Rogue says it too she said this is your first Christmas as an X-Men and she joined the team shortly after season one so I was like mm, the time continuity on this is a bit of a mess <laughs> but it is a children's cartoon in 19, at this point, 95, I think. It would have 95, been. yeah. 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 So, you know, but I, that like, even as a kid, I remember being like, wait a minute, Jubilee's been like pushing up my glasses, being like, Jubilee's been around. Um, so here I am as a 37 year old adult doing it again. Um, Wolverine says like, the day you catch me singing Jingle Bells, the day pigs fly. I like Wolverine. I like the Wolverine in this cartoon. Daniel, you have written for some comics. Uh, I have. Marvel Marvel comics, even. <laughs> what do you think of, like, I think this is a very good portrayal of Wolverine, just in this cartoon in general, like, not this specific episode. 
but the way they like balance the grump with sometimes the charm, I think really works. Yeah. This is my Wolverine for sure. And part of that is generational, but I came to the comics through the cartoon uh, but the comics we had were reprints of, you know, Burn Claremont X Men, and I don't see right. I don't see a ton of distance between these interpretations. Uh, you know, it's it's sillier and and more and more kid friendly. Right. But I could hear, you know, I could hear that voice coming off the page when I was reading comics that predated the cartoon. Yeah, I yeah, I think that like. Because, yeah, I'm not sure if it's a generational thing, but yeah, I always, like, for me, these voices, even the voices that are, like, a little on the silly side are still the voices I hear when I read the comics, like, never the movie voices. No, <laughs> no I, I think that that's, I think that when people talk about, um, you know, that's one of the big strengths of the MCU is is casting and tone and consistency. Yeah. So I, I think people can sort of gut check when it feels closer or farther away. And that's one of the things that, I think made the X-Men cartoon kind of like a shocking success at the time is that usually when they adapted comics, it would just be whatever, you know, uh, yeah. the characters would sound totally different or some executive would, you know, say that Batman is a totally different color. Like it just, it wasn't sacred at all. Uh, it, not that it needs to be sacred all of the time, but right. being recognizable is a huge benefit. Right. And I think a lot of us, that are around this age, Courtney, I think we're around the same age as well. Mm-hmm. Like this was like a big like push for all of us to get in. Like, cause I, I don't, I only knew the X-Men arcade game, right? That was like the thing I knew. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was just an arcade game. I didn't realize it was a superhero, like an a- actual comic book. Um, and then the cartoon was kind of what got me into reading like Marvel comics. Yeah. yeah same me with too, me. Totally. Yeah. Um, so, the, so, you know, they don't, Wolverine doesn't want to take part. We get that he's Grumpus. We cut to Jean and Gambit in the kitchen where Jean Grey, she is like you, the voice actress whose name I can't remember. Chandler Catherine Disher. Yeah, Catherine Disher. Yeah. She's doing some like intense Dark Phoenix yelling at Gambit. <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite scene in the X-Men cartoon, if not maybe my favorite scene in all of television, is this B story of Gambit and Jean Grey getting on each other's nerves in the kitchen and Gambit in his, in his literal chef's hat. <laughs> it's so silly, but I love it. It's... She throws broccoli at him. She calls him a swamp rat. It's got <laughs> yes, it's brilliant. <laughs> and literally, too, it's like, like I'm very, very also protective of my kitchen. And I have said to my boyfriend multiple times, get out of my kitchen when I'm in there. <laughs> so the energy coming off Jean, I'm like, girl, I feel you. <laughs> yeah. I want to know what her pedestrian normal Christmas food means because I was just like, oh, nice, Jean. We're going to normalize your Christmas, but not allow a Cajun Christmas. <laughs> Yeah, who who has a Cajun chef living in their home and totally rejects their their help in the kitchen? That's insane, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> a controlled controlling freak like Jean Grey, I guess. Another character in this episode trying to cook and causing an explosion. Like, just let Gambit cook dinner. All of you guys are in over your head. So, he's passive about a lot of things, but that counter space. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what they you're you're right what you said earlier chandler because that the space in where the christmas tree is we don't see that before but the kitchen is kind of the same layout when we see it like all the time in that cartoon mm-hmm. i mean it looks a little different but like they keep the like colors and everything it looks like the kitchen in the in xavier's mansion we also cut to we get we kind of sets up all the characters for like getting ready for their like very nice holiday celebration we get beast mixing some intense chemicals that he because it's a children's cartoon he has to specifically say it's non-alcoholic <laughs> yes <laughs> but they, they look like like legit chemicals which one would assume they are since the concoction blows up <laughs> right like i'm like mm, that probably is worse than alcohol <laughs> It's also just so, I mean, they're they're under attack constantly by like aliens and people from other dimensions. And just anyone who truly wants to murder you does not care that it is Christmas. <laughs> if anything, they, maybe the X-Men, like their defenses are lower and this is the best time to come and try to kill them. Right. Mrs. Mr. Sinister is like, oh no, not on Christmas Eve. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, way right. they, the way they maintain that uh, that kind of like false decorum through the whole thing is is really <laughs> hilarious. 
But uh, so Chandler, then we go to commercial. And yes. So on our uh, podcast, X-Reads, we have these things called ad alerts, where as we're going through the the issue of the comic, there, of course, there's these advertisements of the era. So I went back to December of 1995 and pulled some commercials for everybody to discuss. Uh, the first one I have on deck is Dr. Dreadful's Food Lab. Which is an incredible, like, gummy making of whatever chemistry set where you get to make lots of gross things and then you get to eat them. Monster skin, bugs, monster brains. Um, does anybody remember this commercial? 100% I do. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember it and I remember thinking that it was really cool. And then my neighbor, like, I had next door, uh, across the street neighbors that a lot of times, like, I would have, like, if, like we would have we would kind of exchange each other's toys where like i had a lot of the x-men they had more like toys like this um so i would play with it at their house and they would like come to my house to play with the like action figures but they had a lot of the like making stuff mm. kind of toys and i can't remember if i'm mixing this up with what was that monster thing where like you made gummy monsters the creepy crawlers and those were yes. more like those were more like you were making your own sort of uh toys like uh shrinky dinks like it was yeah. sort of a half yeah. craft half baking so I can't remember if I'm mixing those two up, but I know they had one of those things because I remember like it being a lot of work for child Ian. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, I think my cousins had this because uh, I remember the brains specifically. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my cousins had this little lab. I love yeah, that. I saw it once in real life. Uh, this commercial really worked on me, and, and watching it, watching it again, just reminded me how how uh, big a trend it was in the '90s for things to be gross. Like, mm-hmm. like yes. Nickelodeon slime came down and it changed everything. Yes. That, that was like a way for children to sort of have like a, like safe rebellion is you can't do anything <laughs> bad, but you can do something really unpleasant. Right. Yeah. yeah. Or like Gak, if we yep. remember Gak or Flom. Both those for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I had, I had Gak and I remember I used it on my Star Trek action figures as like a goo that was taking over the Enterprise and it got crested on my Deanna Troy action figure and I was so upset. <laughs> oh, she wouldn't uh, take Chandler did, to that either. <laughs> no, she would not. <laughs> Chandler, did you have this lab? No, I did not have this lab, but I just like, so what I did in research for this podcast is I went through and watched like a ton of commercials because on YouTube, you can just research December, 1995 um, Fox kids commercials and they have a bunch. Anyways, I, uh, I didn't like a lot of them. I was trying to like, they didn't spark a memory or, or whatnot, but this one in particular, I was like, Oh yes, I remember. And I remember that, um, that the actor that plays Dr. Dreadful. Um, and especially when he eats the brains and he goes, Hmm, fruity, <laughs> like seared into my memory. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is, I remember this distinctly. <laughs> I thought you were going to have like some wild trivia, like the actor who played the doctor was then in like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Or something. Oh my God. Well, we could just say that for the sake of it. He played a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> who didn't? So we, yeah, true. Who didn't? We come back from our ad break and uh, Jubilee invites Wolverine. So no, wait, we come back from the ad break and they're all running into Beast Lab. Mm-hmm. Find out it's just his, his goo. And Wolverine is like, Wolverine is very much extra grumpy this episode. And I don't know if we're supposed to, no, that can't, I, I, I put this in my notes. Like, is it because of what happened? But that's not, didn't happen on Christmas Eve when they mentioned like he didn't save people. Mm-hmm. So I, don't, I guess he just hates Christmas. He's child so. up. I mean, he is spoiling to murder anyone. Right? Yes, <laughs> yes. There is no time for cheer. <laughs> Which speaking of, yeah, well, Jubilee invites Wolverine to go Christmas shopping with her and Storm. And, there's a woman at the like perfume slash cologne counter who sprays him with a must scent. And yeah, Wolverine is like about to murder her. <laughs> I know. Good thing Storm was there to stop him. <laughs> and this is another thing I didn't get as a kid that I really enjoyed watching it as an adult who now lives in New York, but they are in full on Rockefeller Center. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they, it's, they, I mean, they do a kind of good job, especially for what it is right it's like you kind of recognize it yeah they've got the the rink and the uh the, the statue it's it's very like you know it's simplified but uh mm-hmm. it's very clear what it's supposed to be yeah and it yeah. really it harkens back to um way back x-men 98 from the 70s where the x-men celebrate christmas at rockefeller plaza 
Um, this is when it, they like Storm and Nightcrawler and Colossus just join the X-Men. And this is like their first time going out as a team um, after all of their battles leading up to this moment. So um, I highly encourage people to go back and read that issue. Um, it's actually the kickoff to the Phoenix Saga because in that issue, they are kidnapped and brought to space. And that's what kind of starts the whole series that leads to Jean keeping the spaceship together and the Phoenix Force taking over her body. Wow, you you must host an X Men podcast you that think. goes through. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they're, they're grumpy in the mall. Um, Wolverine hears sirens, or no, no, no. Then they leave the mall. They go ice skating in Rockefeller Center. Wolverine hears sirens. Um, Wolverine's great. He's yeah. Wolverine knows how to ice skate. He's doing He's Canadian. It. Oh, no, that's that's true. Yes. <laughs> we're born, born knowing how to skate. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Courtney, can you ice skate? Of course. Literally. I, I've been skating since I was two years old. And, uh, sledding like, back far around. Years old, so, yeah. And so, actually, I, I have a note for this part, which I thought was super funny because, like, like Logan will charge headfirst into battle, but, like, quote, Christmas Eve shopping? You're crazy. <laughs> like, absolutely not. But he will go skating. Like, he, he's like, okay, I get that. Yeah. <laughs> shopping shopping is a little too much, but, yeah, yeah, ice skating, he's like, oh, yeah, that that, was that his, old thing, I can do that. That was his treat for, for being yeah. patient in the store. <laughs> this gave me, a strong, it gave me a strong, strong desire for X-Men on ice. I mean, we have Disney on ice, and Disney now owns X-Men, so mm-hmm. let's please have an X-Men action show on ice. With that energy out into the ether. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Marvel, Disney, if you're listening, please give it to us. Daniel, Daniel, is that the TV show you're writing for? Yeah, I didn't want to say anything, but yeah, it's not. <laughs> I, don't know. Yes. I mean, just imagine the storm speeches, guys. Storm live on ice with uh, dry ice, smoke, and everything. I mean, I can I picture it in my head. Oh my God. Yes. I would love that. <laughs> Uh, so then I, I can't remember what else happens. I didn't really take much notes for the ice skating scene, but Wolverine does say like he hears an ambulance, right? Yeah. There's sirens and uh general kind of pandemonium and the ambulance crashes onto the ice. Oh, right. It crashes on without, the without, but, but of course storm saves it from crashing because she's got to get one weather speech in every episode. <laughs> I, I like the idea of there being like, we don't need an action fight scene, but we do need a storm speech. Right. Mm-hmm. This is kind of the action. We got a car chase. That's true. That's true. I mean, it's like two seconds, but yeah. <laughs> I guess this would count. So we find out it's the Morlocks, right? And Wolverine is like immediately so accusatory. <laughs> <laughs> he hates them so much. <laughs> So much. Well, it's because it's those sore memories of when they were last in the tunnels and Gene and Scott were macking and then he has to turn away because they made a meme of it. So he's just like, ooh, yeah, those Morlocks, they memed me and I can't forgive them for that. I forgot that would have been the last time. That lady made me think I was covered with scorpions. (laughs) Yeah. Never, never forget. Well, and she's there. Yeah, that's right. She's in the ambulance too. What's her name? Annabella? Yeah, Annabella. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Also, they I probably smell it. like the sewer, and he has a heightened sense of smell. So. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, were you going to name drop the I other I was. One? The other guy is Ape. And the Morlocks are characters that I'm mostly familiar with through the cartoon. I've read I've read uh, comics with Morlocks in them, but I think the cartoon really makes them shine. And Ape has really weird powers. Uh, mm-hmm. he's, he's a shapeshifter. But the parameters of it aren't really clear. And in these scenes, he's mostly just giving himself big giant hands. <laughs> yeah, and he switches and he switches to flippers. So that was my introduction to the character that it was like, okay, this is a guy who gives himself big, big giant different hands. And then later he does some kind of general shape shifting. But uh, it's very, you know, to this point, um, nothing that weird has happened visually. And it's very disturbing, actually, that you've been in the real world for as long as you have. And then this this guy just gives himself like this big, meaty anime hand out of nowhere. <laughs> meaty anime hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful statement. So, so they, they tell Storm that Leech is in danger. And Leech is, we had met him before, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. I, I mean, like, 
I know that I know who he is, but I was like, I couldn't remember if he had appeared in the Morlock episode. He did, and his his powers, by the way, are all over the place. So his oh, yeah. powers in comics, I think, are to take a mutant powers a, a mutant's power away. So he leeches the their right. ability away. But I think it's specifically in, nullification. Yes, there we go. Yeah. And then what happens in the first time we see him in X-Men, the animated series, he's using telekinesis to like steal fruit. And then as we learn about him being in the hospital, he's like shocking the nurses somehow. So I'm like, what, what, what exactly is going on with Leech? Yeah. Yeah. He, he takes, I think as, as long as they do something that is excusable by a character being named Leech then (laughs) the script can support it. It's like, okay, he takes away powers. Or, you know, in the case of the nurses at the hospital, it's like, okay, he sort of has a rogues thing, and they're just collapsing. The telekinesis is a bit of a stretch. It's like, oh, he just wants food, and then it flows over to him. (laughs) Which is Uh, handy. I mean, yeah, right, it is. I wouldn't mind that, especially now. Mm -hmm. Um, The cartoon sometimes did, did do that, where it's like, yeah, that's kind of their powers in the comics, but also like if we need them to do something else, and we'll do something else in that season. <laughs> and that's all of Magneto. <laughs> I, uh, that, I mean, that's Magneto in the movies, though, right? It's like sometimes he's like the most powerful mutant in the world, and sometimes he gets knocked unconscious very easily. So we, where, where are we now, Chandler? Now, I'm, well, so yeah, we've got the they're they're stealing the medical uh, supplies, and they're explaining that Leech is sick. And then Anna Lee reads Storm for Filth and is like, well, you're never around, <laughs> like, supposed leader. Uh, and so Storm instructs that them that they're going to help the Morlocks against Wolverine's wishes and says, leave the presence, Jubilee. We are going into the sewer. But Jubilee grabs them anyways. And then we head into the sewers. I should say, I really fixated in my notes, I really fixated on the idea of Jubilee's presence because I get that the story they're telling is a very simple one. But it's sort of like she's, first of all, she says, I've never been able to get people like nice presents before, which makes me wonder what changed in her circumstances. Like, is she salaried with the (laughs) X-Men or do they all get like a per diem? Uh, You know, I know, you know, she's been in, in, she's been in, in foster homes and stuff. I think that was a really interesting thing that this episode kind of like plays with is that Jubilee and Storm both come from poverty but then with the morlocks they're confronting this kind of like mega poverty and yeah has this kind of generic sort of like you know discarding materialism christmas lesson but at the same time the things that she's buying are for other people they're like wrapped packages yeah right yeah she really wants to hang on to them but it's so she can give them to people that she considers to be sort of her real family as opposed to strangers i guess yeah but she, this whole this whole episode, she does. She is that character that throws a bunch of judgment on the poor conditions that the Morlocks are living in, and it made me really angry because she she does kind of come from poverty in the sense that she used to live inside of a mall by herself and like steal old soda cups from the trash and then take it to a soda fountain and ask for a free refill so she could drink and she when she ran away to australia with the x-men she hid within the walls and snuck out to steal food when they went away on missions and so when i was watching jubilee during this whole episode i was annoyed greatly because i was like she's not materialistic in that sense i think she'd be very excited for her first material christmas but i think she would definitely sympathize with the morlocks more than she did at the start of the episode and to be fair one i just learned a lot from about jubilee who is one of my favorite x-men just from you saying all that um two in the context of the cartoon though when we meet her she has a she's like adopted and has a family and like just goes to the mall like she runs away to the mall for like half a night to, to break stuff yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> she delivers that amazing line too. The when he she d- destroys the arcade machine, and the guy's like, "Do you know how much that costs?" And she goes, <laughs> "Yeah, a quarter." <laughs> so we have <clears throat> shameless broad. We have uh, X Men animated series uh, inspired enamel pins that we sell in our Etsy shop. Every time I tweet about the Jubilee one, someone quotes that quote in response. Like every time, um, and I genuinely don't get tired of it because I. 
the way they wrote Jubilee, especially in those first two episodes, was like so good. Yeah, and really I do think, amazing. correct me if I'm wrong, but I think like cartoon Jubilee did stray quite a bit from comics Jubilee and sort of mushed her in with Kitty Pride. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah, when we when we talk, I didn't realize this, but when we talked to um, the showrunners. They said that they actually weren't. Kitty Pride was like the only mutant they weren't allowed to use. Oh, interesting. Because, because Pride of the X Men, that uh, that like weird kind of pilot that they had that was like a cartoon movie. Oh yeah. Because I can it, quote it word did for so. Word. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Be, because it did so poorly, uh, they didn't want them to use Kitty Pride because they felt like it was, I guess, the kind which is weird. They kind of like they blamed it on like, her. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> apparently they wanted to use Kitty as like the younger mutant but the like fox people said no huh. like they, they they were like all right who else can we use oh we use jubilee she's the other like newer younger mutant um which is always weird yeah because like it's not kitty pride's like also it was barely kitty pride she's just like this girl who can phase through walls and does it like three times in that whole thing right but yeah so um god now now we're we're, we're still in the sewers <laughs> and they are going they're expecting leech's body um, and uh, Callisto gives Storm another strong reading, and it's just like you are supposed to lead these people, but you're never around. You know, shaming her in front of everybody. Um, and then Storm commands Wolverine to prep Leech to go to the mansion, but it's too late. He is too far gone in order to move, so they have to treat him in the sewer. And Jubilee is sitting in the corner, comforting a small Morlock girl named Mariana, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we learned that Leech won't survive. And Jubilee says, no, not today. It's Christmas Eve. <laughs> and it gives that like echo effect. And she goes, Christmas Eve, Eve, Eve. <laughs> and it's then like a shot of their, uh, their tree that is just the tree from Charlie Brown. A hundred percent. It's all it is, right? In fact, he probably, they say Leech found it and he probably found it in Charlie Brown's garbage can. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> i i did look up that character because i was like "Ooh, is this character i've never seen her before but maybe she's been in the comics but she was invented for this episode yeah. of the animated series and uh speaking of anime daniel she like I, she looks like an anime she character, is right? so i mean she's not she, I, she's not off model like that's not the phrase i'm looking for but she's right. stylized so differently than everything else in this entire show uh, that yes. it really feels like it really feels like they're almost doing like a meta thing of like you know we need like a tiny Tim type like yeah. the most over the top like big anime eyes and the, I'm just now learning that that she was invented for this show which is crazy given how many X Men characters there are that mm. it would even be necessary and and the liberties right, that I... they take with them that they couldn't have just taken somebody that was already in the Morlocks and. Uh, and you know, tweaked them for these purposes that so they were like, no, this needs to be such a such a pure <laughs> spirit. That only, just Cindy Lou this... Who. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I it, the yeah the, that was a thing I have in my notes too. Is that she her like I don't know if it's just the eyes, but it's so it, she just looks so different. Like she doesn't. It, it she just feels weird in the animation next to all these other because like clearly leech has big eyes too and has like you know green skin and whatever and like a lumpy head but she even looks like so far removed from leech which is weird to say yeah now that i'm thinking about it, she looks like um like that uh show drawn together where they had a fake mm-hmm. reality oh, yeah. Yeah. right like she looks like she escaped from another cartoon universe <laughs> totally I was just thinking this would have been a great cameo if they could have made a young marrow and still made it a cute girl that's you know spiny but mm, but yeah. I, that would have been I thought it would have been really cool to see her in this show. That would have been yeah, awesome. I I got to say I'm a fan of Marrow. I like Me too. She I think she hit the comics as like when she joined the team right at like peak of like oh I thought I was cool. I hung out with skateboarders so like <laughs> I thought she was, like, cool because it was, like, ooh, she's kind of a villain, but, like, she'll still help them. And, like, her powers are, like, edgy because she literally has bones growing out of her. And she's not, like, you know, 
super hot like the rest of the X-Men. So I she hit like all my like buttons at the time. So I have a very like soft spot for Marrow, even though we don't really see her anymore. She never she never gets her animation due, right? Like the no, she gets sort of so. uh, gender swapped and repurposed into into Spike in Evolution. Yeah, in Evolution. Yeah. 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 Well, and then she's a main character in Wolverine in the X-Men animated series. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, that she, I haven't yeah. seen. Yeah, yeah, she's there's a there's a future timeline in that in that series, and she's a main character. Oh, nice. I I don't even remember that, and I watched that series, but I think I watched it like in one day, hung over in my apartment <laughs> in Brooklyn like ten years ago. It's so. about right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So we have our next commercial break. Okay, great. Lead us into it, Chandler. <laughs> you, you bet. So uh, this commercial I chose cut and style Barbie, a Barbie who gets hair extensions and you get to cut and style any way you want. And the reason why I picked it is because it had a very you know catchy jingle that I remember from the 90s, but more so they show all these hairstyles that Barbie can have. And I thought no kid is going to have any skill to make this kind of hairdo for Barbie. So I, must, I can only imagine what a disaster this toy was. <laughs> I I couldn't remember when you sent me that commercial. I can't remember. I can't remember my, my, my friend at the end of the, so I had the friends that were across the street that we played like X-Men together. And then I had a friend at the end of my block that we played Barbies together. But sometimes I would make the Barbies be X-Men. I can't remember if she had this Barbie or not. I was like trying to remember. I remember she had one that like you put the hair in water and it turned different colors. Ooh. Oh, but I don't know if she had this one because I don't remember if I played with this one. <laughs> I don't. I never played with this one, but I just, I just thought, what a disaster this toy could probably is. It seems like a like um, a necessary evil, like that this was such a common phenomenon that they were like, we just have to. The parents will buy this in order to curb this behavior. Let's say no, no, that's the one you mangle. Right. <laughs> yeah. That. That one. Yeah. Go Stop ahead. Go your wild. Sister's hair. <laughs> 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 and then this one and the uh the dr dreadful i noticed they both end with the refills being sold separately and i hadn't thought about the the lifestyle that they were hoping to create that you'd have to you know you'd have to go buy your 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 packets uh and your hair extensions you know once every two weeks or something like getting paper towels yeah well i think that was a big marketing <laughs> thing especially in that era i'm sure it is now but obviously batteries not included was a big thing but you know the idea of continued purchased items for a product i think was probably a big marketing push because i remember a lot of that refills not included kind of yeah. stuff it's all subscription boxes now you know i get my dr dreadful from like a, i heard it on a podcast and i put in the promo code and i get the dr dreadful stuff right to my house that's true <laughs> <laughs> For those listeners, <laughs> use code Dr. Dreadful Lab. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're saying I need to start subscription boxes, boxes is what you're saying. Yeah, oh, doll hair. <laughs> if you want to make edible bugs, yes. <laughs> yeah. Edible bugs and doll hair. I'm sure that'll put me on a list somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh so we come back from commercial and uh well we we're still in the sewers and right now we're wolverine is explaining or kind of half denying that he his blood can save leech's life but he doesn't want to help because right. he has ptsd and they need to respect that because he has had 20 people die trying to use his blood and he is a bit scarred from it but they are so demanding of his blood that i was getting really defensive for wolverine i was like okay yeah. everybody needs to calm down like yeah, yeah. <laughs> i agree with it Storm literally says, if it was your child, would you just let him die? Like, she lays on the and then, But he fires back with the whole, like, you're in charge down here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they are literally like, your where? children. <laughs> yeah, like, where you been, Storm? <laughs> but he mentions yeah, that it I, would work twice. And I wonder, would, like, he doesn't mention who they are, but does anybody know? Like, are there, is there any speculations of who he saved with his blood? I did look that up, and it said that there was no basis in the comments oh, okay. for <laughs> anything in this episode yeah that's one of the things i went back to look up as well just just in case i was missing something or forgot something earlier in the seasons and just nothing i'm not surprised that that was our instinct because the line delivery is so loaded with meaning and the number mm -hmm. two is so specific and arbitrary if it's you know it's one thing to just yeah. write a you know write the scene as like uh i'm not i tried it once before and the person the person right. died it was too much for them or you know creating this kind of uh situation that's like uh agnostic of continuity but he, instead he's like yeah so in 1971 and then again in 1992 right <laughs> like, <laughs> these transfusions to doug and mary and both times it went 
it's yeah it just it really feels like it really feels like they're hinting at something that i guess doesn't exist and this yeah. is actually yeah, part of uh, one of my bits of evidence that I used as well as uh, like vague references that we were talking about earlier in the episode, because I do remember a theory that this episode was supposed to happen way earlier in the series and they cut it and bumped it to like a later season, which is like um, kind of leads to why we're not why it feels out of place. And also Jubilee's mention of it being her first Christmas. Like, I think it was supposed to be earlier. I don't remember where I saw that, but I have a vague memory of reading that somewhere. And that's kind of another thing where it's like, well, maybe we'll just keep the references vague and not quite specific because it doesn't actually um, connect with anything now. That I think that does track, honestly. Like once you, as soon as you said that, I was like, mm, that would make sense because I think some of the episodes were aired out of order anyway for this cartoon. Um, and especially back then, I felt like, especially from what the creators told us when they were on, like the Fox didn't care much other than like the cartoon is success, put out episodes, but they didn't like care anything about anything else. The, the creators told us actually, Anthony and I joked with them like, oh, did you guys at least get a big pay raise once the cartoon was a hit? They actually got a pay cut <gasps> because Fox said, are you kidding? We have people lined up that want to write for this cartoon. So we're t- cutting your pay. <gasps> you can either take it or leave. Oh, Isn't that- it. Amazing. These stories exist. Oh, you guys didn't come up with the Dark Phoenix saga. You're just taking stuff. We'll get any mook to do this. That's <laughs> <laughs> horrible. Like having the number one rated Saturday morning cartoon and having your bosses say that to you. Ugh, I would be fucking furious forever Mm -hmm. about it (laughs) holy shit yeah that was like the wildest thing they told i like could not believe that like fox didn't communicate anything to them and then just told them that for season two no wonder why it's so crunchy about everything (laughs) well and the the cast is canadian because of the buyout program there's no uh residual um you know uh, royalties with canadian voice actors so that's why everybody is canadian yeah yeah uh, well, you know, again. rough <laughs> business. Yeah, I, but Daniel, that probably was the logic, right? Like, oh, you didn't come up with these characters, so anyone can do it, right? That probably, yeah. Was. I mean, if again, if there was any logic, like it also could have just right, been right, yeah. like a classic, you know, executive crappy attitude towards you know, their humanity. <laughs> That's also true. Uh, so we get that we. Who one of them calls the X Men? Right. Storm is says she she says I'm going to contact Rogue to fly Beast to the sewers, and then we move on to Jean versus Gambit round two. <laughs> Has there ever been more distance in terms of stakes from the A story <laughs> to the B story? <laughs> It's like this boy is going to die on Christmas Day, and Gambit's just like this needs cayenne and time. <laughs> the actual fights are going on in the kitchen yeah the, the action scenes are there yeah. <laughs> i mean i really love how how much she is yelling at gambit and like she dumps a pot of like boiling water on him. <laughs> yeah it's rough <laughs> which makes him sneeze which made me be like wait how does hot water make you sneeze like if it's cold water but whatever you know it's Saturday morning cartoons. <laughs> yeah. But so then the X-Men do like Gene and Gambit stop their fight. Everyone's like, oh, the ch- a child's going to die. Great. Let's fly Rogue out with Beast. Not before the biggest head of broccoli almost hits Gambit. <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah, she does throw broccoli at him, but Rogue catches it. Cyclops blasts it. Yeah, blasts it <laughs> and Rogue. then Rogue yeah. catches it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and she's in battle gear at this point, so I don't know how heated this kitchen fight got. Well, I know. I love it. Everyone's like, get dressed for dinner, everyone. And Rogue's like, well, let me put on my uniform. (laughs) My main set of clothes. I'm sure this is what they meant. Yeah. It's funny. I wonder why they did that. Maybe because it's just hard to animate her flying because obviously the animators know her uniform. So they're like, we don't have time to, you know, redraw her civilian outfit 5,000 times in right. flight mode, you know, let's just use the, cause I'm sure they have to reuse cells constantly to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, just but, in general, the designs I assume don't exist. Like even as a kid, I remember what a huge deal it was to see everybody in civilian clothing. And that's just not something that was done with shows for children shows where you had to sell toys. I mean, it wasn't really necessary to see them as humans with lives. It just wasn't yeah. culturally expected. Right. 
that's true. Yeah, that's true. My and, my big thing I have to bring up though that I love is the, of course another meme from the show that you see Gene shaking that broccoli at Gambit, um, and a, a big throwback to the Dark Phoenix saga where Dark Phoenix eats a star and then destroys a planet full of inhabitants that are called broccoli people, or they're called the Dabari, but everyone calls them broccoli people because they were shaped like broccoli. So yeah, you know, it's a very taste. Tasteless oh choice. A very tasteless choice <laughs> <Jeez>. from me. <laughs> if that was a actual reference on the part of the writers, uh, I am Amazing. my hat is off to them. My gambit no. hat is off to them. <laughs> horrible. The genocide she caused for the broccoli people. <laughs> this is actually a survivor. <laughs> Living in their kitchen. I Chandler, I thought you were gonna say that when she I was thinking of the scene in Dark Phoenix when um Cyclops and Wolverine are talking about how he met Dazzler, and then Jean walks in. For some reason, in my head, I was like, oh, he's, he's going to say she eats a stalk of broccoli when she walks in the kitchen, as if that's a scene from... <laughs> like, oh, it's a reverence to that, of course. No. Yeah, duh. No, yeah. Just, just a murder of a people, that's all. <laughs> just right. an entire genocide. Yeah. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> Casual genocide, no big deal. Wait, so Rogue and Beast get there, and um, I'm not sure if it's the same... Morlock that you were mentioning before, Daniel, but one of the Morlocks turns into a that's table? Yeah. That's eight, yeah. yeah. Yeah, just morphs into a table. Like, they don't have another, like, surface for him to lay on. Um, and I just, that is so impractical, and I love it. Yeah, the whole episode <laughs> is kind of like that, where it's just, they have to, and that's very X-Men, you know, it's like, Chris Claremont dialogue right. is always everybody shouting their powers. So the broccoli doesn't... <laughs> dodged the broccoli gets blasted with a laser as though that is necessary <laughs> like the only way that you can have a table is if a person turns into a table just any excuse to have mutant power on display mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it is yeah it's very extra and i love it they Mm, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they the, the the blood tra- transfusion is starting. So Wolverine is laying down on the the ape table. They're starting the blood transfusion into Leech, and while that's happening, Mariana, the anime uh, Morlock, takes Jubilee around to show her the Christmas tree, which she made nice, and talking about the food that they're creating. And that's when Jubilee is giving her all her shade. She's like, "Oh, how could they live like this?" And then Beast and Rogue <laughs> I- show up. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, to be fair, I took it as more like, I don't know, Jubilee's a kid, so she's more just like shook yeah. than like judging them. I think she's more just like taken aback as a kid. You know, she must be like 13 or whatever. Yeah, because was she in the sewers with them the first time we met the Warlocks? Because I don't recall her being there. I don't think I don't, she was right, in that episode. Jubilee, a lot of times in the cartoon, just dropped out of she's many episodes. Like she's not in the Dark Phoenix saga, yeah. except for like the first episode. Um, so I, I think you might be right, Courtney. I think she might not even be in that episode. Yeah, so it probably never even occurred to her. And even like how bit how bad that she lived, like going from foster home to foster home. And she's like, oh damn, right. like there's actually worse out there. This is crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's how I took it. That like she was like, oh, I had it bad, but not this bad. And like, holy shit. And then she does want to help them in the end. You know, she gets all their, she gives them the presents and shit like that. So I do, I do think of it as more like she's just shocked, not like she's being shitty, but also maybe I'm being biased because I love my girl. Julie. Oh, uh, <laughs> I love her too. Maybe it was just Allison Court's delivery. Maybe she just was a, was a bit too suburban white girl in her delivery. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's also just the sort of like, that's where the story wanted to go. Because something I wrote down in my notes is that the, the first act is like Wolverine hates Christmas. And then as soon as they go on the mission, the focus really hands off to like Jubilee learning a lesson about, uh, you know, material goods and charity. Like it's not like Wolverine is still grumpy about, I guess, like life in general, like about like the cruelty of nature and like, why does this boy have to die? But Wolverine in the sewers is not like a Christmas story. It's like a uh, uh, pessimism story. Yeah. Right. Like they, the first act is not like about Jubilee shopping. It's about Wolverine hating Christmas. And then this sort of like second parallel story starts with Jubilee learning how to how to be cool about this. 
<laughs> one thing that you know, that I that I have to track or I have to I have to call out in this in this scene is because um, the blood transfusion that's happening uh, with Leech earlier, Wolverine says you cannot move his body; he is going to die. Yet when we come back and the the transfusion has started, they've completely dressed him because he was like shirtless <laughs> without his hat on, and then now he's suddenly wearing his full outfit and his hat. And I was like, wait. <laughs> like when did, when did they move the body to dress him when they were instructed not to move him? <laughs> I didn't even realize that that he was dressed in between uh being told not to move. But yeah, so I, I yeah, Daniel, I feel like you make a good point of this from a story aspect we're set up that Wolverine should be the one learning a lesson here, but like it's just Wolverine hates Christmas and then Jubilee learns a lesson. There's no like yeah, Wolverine hates Christmas and then learns a lesson that is sort of unrelated to. I guess it's like the idea yeah. that the idea that you can expect a miracle is sort of inherently Christmassy. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It, it really is. It starts with sort of one generic Christmas story and ends with another generic Christmas story <laughs> that are similar to each other, but about different characters <laughs> learning different lessons. Yeah, because like Wolverine should, if from that beginning you would think it would be, but and Jubilee's like fine. She's just like, hey, let's have a fun Christmas. And if anything, it's like, no, this is why you don't have a fun Christmas. Jubilee. <laughs> That's why we can't have nice things. We are the X Men, and we're going to end up in the sewer with a dead boy. <laughs> <laughs> Everything will be miserable all of the time when you are part of the X Men. So Jubilee cries. Uh, I always, I think of that as like the the frame from this episode of Jubilee holding the little girl and like the single tear comes down Jubilee's you know cheek when she's worried about Leech. Um, Leech makes it. Storm and Callisto kind of start to go back and forth a little bit, but Storm is like Callisto, like bow before me, and then gives the leadership of the Morlocks back to Callisto, which I do. Like, it's almost like Storm kind of learns a lesson too, I guess. Everyone's learning maybe some kind of lesson. Um, because I, I, I love Storm. She's one of my favorite X-Men. But like, in the realm of this, it's like, well, you were a shitty leader. You did like take over leadership and then peace out forever. After yeah, that. never checking on them. Like, this made me really mad at Storm because I, I took this scene as really privileged thing of like, I want a puppy. I'm going to get a dog. Oh, I'm not going to take care of this dog. Oh, I'm gonna, I don't want this dog anymore. You, you take the dog. Right, <laughs> like she yeah, fought yeah. <laughs> to go oh, to lead the Morlocks, and then she's just like, I don't, I don't want to anymore. Yeah, the lesson she learns is that she she balked on her responsibilities, and then the big lesson she learns is that she is quitting. She's fully absolved. So it's like the the, the lesson that Storm right, learns is like, yeah, exactly. Like if you're gonna quit, don't half-ass it. Right, <laughs> quit all the way, fully relinquish responsibility in an official capacity. <laughs> um, yeah, so Storm gives Callisto her whatever thing, the baton. Scepter of the power. Is. Scepter. Is that what it's, is that the literal yes. term for it? Scep- like you Scep- well, they say in the, in the episode too, they call it the scepter of power. Which is like a fancy talking stick. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Spirit stick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, then Jubilee wants to have Christmas Eve dinner with the Morlocks. They kind of give them their presents. And I, and I know like this is the point, but I kept thinking, yeah, but like, just bring them to the mansion. There's so much room there. I, know. <laughs> I thought that too. And I don't. I want to know who. Please tell me. Anybody that's that's listening and those uh, in the podcast right now. Wolverine says he wants orange juice and a cookie. Now, do you have orange juice and cookies together? That's after a blood transfusion. Yeah. <laughs> okay, got oh, it. Is that what they're all? Okay. Yeah. So that's like. Oh, so that right. gag okay. is like if you donate blood, uh, that is the sort of like stereotypical thing that you're offered to improve your blood sugar afterwards. Yeah. Good call. You are correct. I didn't think about I that because my immediate reaction was, "Ugh." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even I mean, I knew I knew what he was referring to, and it still took me a second because I expected it to be like something Wolverine related, and it was like, like a beer. The math right. is that like what he you know the Ninja Turtles like pizza and or Wolverine likes <laughs> orange juice and cookies. <laughs> That's what That's he wanted this whole time. <laughs> Uh, so then we kind of Professor X is like proud of the X-Men. He's proud of Jubilee because they're helping the Morlocks and they 
what is it? She gives, is it all the presents and the food? I think. Oh, right? Yeah. Like her everything. presents have food and stuff inside. So she has, she gives all of her gifts to the warlocks. And like, you know, I get that is a very nice gesture, but I'm just like, also give these children a house, like give them a like home, a bedroom, not like a sewer. Um, you got the room in the mansion. But did you think they did not invite them to leave the sewers the first time you met them? And they were like, no, this is our sanctuary because the upper world isn't ready to accept us because we right. look weird. Yeah, that is their that is their safe place. Is it that is yeah, kind of the that only is- way you can make it work is to sort of meet the meet the show halfway on the more yeah. and be like, no, this is their culture. They right. <laughs> they like things to be bad. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> they like this. But so uh well before we wrap up the episode, I just have to go over the spread that Gene and Gambit created for <laughs> everybody because I had to pause as I went frame by frame to to talk about everything that's on this table. So there are four plates of whipped cream and berries, sparkling water, butternut squash, brie cheese, a full turkey, what looks like gumbo, a salami, shrimp with dip, more whipped cream but in wine glasses, pie, biscuits, ham, and then Gambit refers to his oyster loaf which I've never heard of before. And then uh, he says, what about my oyster loaf and my daube glace, which I had to look up, which is a labor intensive dish reserved for very special occasions, which is basically a meat gelatin dish from New Orleans. And I love Chris Potter, who voices Gambit, totally struggled on that daube glace line. Because like you listen to him, if you listen to him deliver it, he's probably like reading it cold. And he's like, what about my oyster loaf and my (laughs) daube glace? <laughs> Good enough for Saturday to be morning. Fair. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, that's the only take we got time for. Moving on. <laughs> they're like, Good enough. Keep going. <laughs> All right. So yeah, then I guess we're at the end of the episode. Before anyone does anyone else have anything else to add? I mean, the, the end of the episode is Gambit's most amazing line of the series. <laughs> Gambit does not make TV dinners. <laughs> oh, right. He says that about them, like, reheating. Yes. <laughs> Warm it up. <laughs> so taken aback by the suggestion. Uh, and uh, before we close out, I think, Chandler, you have one more ad. Yeah, yeah. So our final ad alert, uh, I picked the trailer to Flipper starring Elijah Wood. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> that song? I still think of Flipper when I hear that fucking yes. song. Like, if I'm, like, in Target or something and I hear that. I don't even. It's called Roll Me, but I can't remember. Bat, 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 pretty baby. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna hear two words of this yeah <laughs> pretty baby roll to me by del amitri oh all right good for them yes <laughs> i also forgot elijah was elijah wood was in me too like in my, i think in my i think in my brain there was no one famous in that movie but i remember elijah wood but i did not remember isaac hayes being in it <laughs> wow <laughs> Oh, I'll fully I, yeah, not I, remembering that there was a flipper movie. I mean, I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't see why not. But it's, uh, yeah, I did not walk around with a memory of Flipper the movie existing. Listen, baby, me had a big. He didn't know it at the time, but had a big crush on Elijah Wood. Oh yeah, because it was like, oh, he's cool. Oh, he has nice eyes, and I can appreciate that he has grown up to still be pretty handsome. And from what I gather, not problematic at least. <sighs> Although someone might be like, actually, Ian, and tweet me and tell me <laughs> otherwise after this and crush my spirits. But uh, so before we close out, favorite scene, Daniel? Uh, my favorite, I mean, the sequence, I already mentioned it, but the entire the entire uh, Jean Grey Gambit uh, cooking story. I just, I love imagining what like unspiced, uh, you know, 31 year old white lady food Jean Grey is making that like cannot be touched by by time and cayenne, like not controversial <laughs> ingredients in any way. Uh, throwing a throwing a chunk of broccoli at him and calling him a swamp rat just really, really stuck with me. And I also love the the title card at the end because that's how you know it's a very special episode. Is that they wish the audience Merry Christmas from the X Men? Yeah. <laughs> I, I did read that it's the only time they break the fourth wall in the series. 
um, which makes sense. I don't know when they were, what else would do it. Um, Courtney, what's your favorite scene? Yeah, I I feel like the the importance, honestly, of it's it seems like a throwaway and it seems just ha ha's with the Jean Grey Gambit interactions. But I really think it was so important to have that levity because the other side of the story is like, oh, is this kid gonna die? Is you know, is Wolverine <laughs> going to be able to save him? Blah blah. It's all heavy, and I do remember because I'm like an overly emotional person anyway, and I knew I was gonna cry when I was rewatching it. But as soon as Mariana goes like what's miracles and i'm like oh god <laughs> 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 he doesn't understand so i feel like the gene and gambit interaction was so important and also we don't even get to see gene and gambit's characters interact often during the show so it was nice to see yeah. them actually hanging out even though they were fighting <laughs> the whole time <laughs> and maybe that's why <laughs> uh chandler your favorite scene um i think it was the ice skating rink just because i it was giving me <laughs> this amazing fantasy of x-men on ice and i was living for it um and after your answer Ian, i really want to know everybody's favorite morlock oh, okay uh my favorite scene is the opening i don't know why i just like like i said i love a like holiday episode in a genre show and i like you're just seeing them all like decorate a Christmas tree and Wolverine's being grumpus over by the fireplace. And I just Cyclops does a thing where he clutches his chest. Um, I use that photo as a reaction photo. Uh, <laughs> one of our uh, Colin, who's been on the podcast a couple of times, Colin Smith, he always uses it as a reaction photo and it's like got me to start using it. So that's like my favorite. Is he scene. trying to find his pearls? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> like, you said what? <laughs> Chandler, what was your question your again? Your favorite Morlock. Oh God. Uh, oh boy. I just, I feel like it's so lame to say Callisto, but I think it's Callisto because she has the most personality. Yeah. She's badass. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Courtney, what would be your answer? My, like, my favorite Morlock actually doesn't appear in this episode and it kind of makes me sad because I really like Caliban and mm-hmm. I think he's so okay. cool, like, okay. as, the, as the mutant tracker. I think that um, power is super neat. But I do like Callisto um, also because she's not cowering she's she's not trying to hide from them and she is definitely someone who could pass as human if she wanted to live in the upper world but she's like no i'm taking care of these people which is a good contrast to storm in this who does live in the upper world and doesn't take care of them mm-hmm. i mean caliban is probably caliban and calista are probably the, the most well-rounded and objectively interesting but um because this is the x-men animated series podcast i gotta say covered with scorpion covered <laughs> with scorpion <laughs> I don't think anything, and you know, and this was, I was a little kid and on the playground and we didn't live in this era of on-demand media that we do now. So I would just trot that out and people say, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) This snippet of playground dialogue that you will remember for the rest of your life. And it, it like elicited terror. I remember that moment, like watching it. The, like the idea of thinking you're covered with scorpions. I, I was oh. like, no. Well, mine is super obscure, but I love Tommy. Tommy is the holographic kind of girl that is super thin and can kind of basically become two dimensional. Oh yeah. And and she makes appearances in both uh, the Morlock episodes, and then this Christmas one is a background character. But I just uh, I just think Tom Tommy's just one of the coolest looking Morlocks. Obviously, the personality is not built out, but but I still really appreciate her. And what's your favorite outfit? Oh, definitely Storm's dress. And the first time you see her, it's a it's a full body shot where she's leaning against uh, like a console. And it's just so clearly on display. Like they wanted to really make it a thing that they were all dressed up for the, the holiday. I'm biased, but obviously I always pop for whatever. You do see Wolverine in civilian clothes. He's always dressed as this like Canadian wilderness man. Like we are always just constantly either wearing flannel or fur. So, so I do appreciate his like fur lined coat and <laughs> everything. Well, I would say Jubilee's dad sweater for sure. I also love her like pink and white ski suit that she wears to the mall. But I think I'm going to go with Gambit's outfit because it's, you know, very the Parisian stripes and he's got the chef's hat on and everything. And it's just you always see him in his outfit. He rarely gets a a civilian clothes, um, unlike Jubilee and Rogue and Storm who get some civilian outfits. But I, I really liked Gambit's. Yeah, I, I want to change my answer. I forgot that he wore purple and yellow stripes and a chef's hat. <laughs> <laughs> and I think like a bandana, right? Like a kerchief. Yes, hat. yes. He's yeah. got a bandana around his neck. <laughs> I think my favorite outfit is Jubilee's sweater with the jean shorts. I would totally wear that outfit right now. 
what grade would you give this episode? I'm going to give it a B minus. Uh, the, uh, to me, I like the episode. It, like I said it, it early at the top of the, the show, it made me feel good. But um, it is a bit over soapy, in my opinion. And Wolverine especially like goes for the Oscar, and it kind of annoys me. <laughs> um, I think if you had asked me this when I was a kid and watching it originally I would have agreed with you on the C but I feel like it hits a bit harder now that I'm an adult and um, especially this year if I can get real Um, the fact that uh, we're all in a place in these holidays where we can't necessarily be with who we want to be at Christmas and can't do what we want to be at Christmas whether we're in quarantine or whether we just can't see our family and I think making the best of things and bringing cheer to the people who need it I was like oh this is actually really relevant right now so I'll rate it a B plus. I mean, I, I agree with I agree with anybody who says it's a little sloppy and and it's definitely yeah not necessary to the broader viewing. But uh, I have a soft spot for this one because I met my wife, my now wife, uh, a friend of the show, uh, at a at a Christmas party and went home for the holidays and tried to play it really cool. So we didn't text each other. But I posted a, a screen grab of the title card, Have Yourself a Morlock Christmas, and she clicked like on my Instagram. Oh. oh. That's, well. That was how I knew that, you know, we were still kind of stalking each other. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even sure she knows what it is. <laughs> but, so I give, it, I give it an A. I give it a heartfelt, sentimental A. Hmm. I think I would give this episode a C. Thank you all for joining us, and thank you all for listening. If you liked SlayerFest 98, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Spotify, YouTube, and other corners of the internet. Make sure to rate us and review us if you like us. And if you want to support the podcast, you can subscribe to us on Patreon. And if you want to support the podcast, you subscribe to us on Patreon, where every month we release two to three patron-exclusive episodes, a monthly recap video, and you get access to our private Facebook group. And if you want to follow us on social media, we are at SlayerFestX98 on all social platforms. And if you want to follow me, I am at IanXCarlos on all social media platforms. Where can everyone find y'all? Oh my gosh. Okay, so Twitter and Instagram are both at Rushlemania. And then I also stream on Twitch, twitch.tv backslash RN the Demon Assassin uh, for my own games. And if you want to listen to me and Andrew Everett and Dino Winwood of PWG fame, let do commentary over the computer playing Fire Pro Wrestling. <laughs> that is Wednesdays and Saturdays, twitch.tv backslash Andy E plays. I'm at Kibblesmith on social media and at kibblesmith.com. Uh, you can find my podcast at X Reads Podcast. That's X R E A D S Podcast. And you can find me personally, uh, my name, Chandler Poling. That's P O L I N G. I'm on Instagram, uh, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm also on Twitch. You can find, you can find me on Twitch, uh, Torin L A T A U R E N L A. Um, and I stream video games and have fun. We also record our X Reads podcast. We stream um, our uh, recordings. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you for sticking with the podcast through 2020. And uh, hope 2021 is better to all of us. Bye. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. 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 Morlock Christmas, everybody. <laughs>